0: Hello and welcome to Hey Remember the 80s. I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. And remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We've just got a license to kill anyone that tries to stop us talking about 80s music.
1: Yeah!
0: Don't even try it.
1: Oh, hello, everyone. Welcome, Joe.
0: Welcome, Carrie. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good.
0: Let's welcome any new listeners or loyal listeners. We found some out in Peoria, Illinois. Brentwood, Maryland, and Crayfield, Germany. Hello. Willkommen.
1: Check out our Facebook, facebook.com slash HRT80S. And sometimes I post on Blue Sky. Joe, we have some tidbits.
0: Yeah, I think too many tidbits. I have one I was going to throw in, <laughs> and I was like, hold up.
1: Never enough tidbits. We can right. get into it.
0: Remember that you said that. <laughs>
1: This first one is near and dear to my heart, which is that Crowded House released a new single this week. It's called Oh Hi. I can
2: take it to the people with a microphone, scare the darkness with a light bulb.
1: It is their first new music since their 2021 album, Dreamers Are Waiting. No word if this is a single in advance of an album. Haven't heard anything like that. Maybe it's just a one-off. Neil Finn shared a demo of this particular track a couple years ago. It's inspired by his work with a nonprofit called So They Can, which builds schools in Kenya and Tanzania. And he says, I'm hoping the song comes across without needing to know the backstory, but it's very much inspired by these incredible kids and their magnificence. So that's lovely. Why don't you give your thoughts on the song first, Joe?
0: I know what you're going to say. You love it because it's Crowded House, but I really like it. I listened to it quite a few times. I think it's fun. I think it sounds fresh. It sounds like them, though. I like the little (laughs) sound effect that occurs throughout. Uh I think it's very cute. Reminds me of a Nintendo game or like that line in um, Mad World by Tears for Fears.
1: I agree with everything you said. You know, I was going to start off by saying, you know, I'm just in the bag for anything Neil Finn or Crowded House does. So I could never hate this song. But I will just say that I prefer when it's just Neil Finn's voice, you know, and maybe some backing vocals, but whatever they did with his voice here, there's too many layered vocals. I appreciate it when it's more clean and pure, but yes, it's very cute. I agree with you. It really does sound like Crowded House, but with a twist. They're always finding new ways to make music that sounds like them, but also doesn't just sound the same all the time. I had seen this article on the Crowded House Facebook page earlier in the year, and then I thought to myself, oh, no, I missed it. But I looked it up again. All through February, there is a show on BBC Radio in the UK. (laughs) So if you're in the UK, maybe you've been listening to this, and I have to try and track down some of the ones that have aired already. But a bunch of people in what's called the Piano Room – here it says, each artist will perform a new song, a classic, and a cover version. So what caught my eye, obviously, Crowded House is coming up on February 15th. It says they're going to perform a Patula Clark cover version. Mm. But listen to some of the other people that have already appeared. Bruce Hornsby performing a Don Henley cover. Tony Hadley with a cover version song by Lana Del Rey. Oh, I gotta hear that. Yeah. Johnny Marr of the Smiths performing an Iggy Pop cover version. Just this past Friday, it was Rick Astley performing an Olivia Rodrigo cover version. Oh my
0: god.
1: The last one on February 23rd will be Pet Shop Boys performing a David Bowie cover version. I had completely forgotten about this, but now we will cover some of those in an upcoming episode. I'll try to track down footage of these.
0: So we can't listen to it on the radio live when it airs, but it'll be streaming somewhere, you believe?
1: Yeah, like I just clicked on a link. We could listen to these live. I have to figure out the conversion on um, Thursday, February 15th, figure out when I need to tune in to hear Crowded House. It'll probably be really early in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. And then after the fact, I think it will be on the web.
0: I see that Rick Astley sang Driver's License.
1: Oh, my God. If that further
0: piques your interest, hearing a 57-year-old man singing the lines, (laughs) I got my driver's (laughs) license last week, just like we always talked about. It's never too late.
1: And in our never-ending quest to keep you informed of all documentaries and stage musicals related to 80s music, we have news. Purple Rain, a stage musical adaptation of the classic Prince album and film, will be premiering in Minneapolis in spring of 2025. Then it is on its way to Broadway after that. I hadn't heard of this. Had you?
0: No, not a thing. I wonder if they're going to be able to like bulk up the plot line of the movie, because (laughs) I feel like, no, I'm just saying, because when we watched it, it's just like, this is a vehicle for the musical performances to happen. And that's, I think, why people love it. Maybe not the storyline so much. I don't know.
1: No, I would agree with that. I think there definitely needs to be some more flushing out of what exactly is going on because there was a lot of times during the movie where I'm like, what are we supposed to be understanding about this and what's going on? Do you think they'll still throw women into the dumpster? I sure hope not. <laughs> I mean, this is an opportunity for them to, to you know, to correct some of, the, correct yeah. some of that. But of course, the music is just wonderful. So I'm very interested, yes, to see what happens with that. And of course, it is blessed by the Prince estate. Good. That's good. Yeah.
0: We don't want to see any more fighting from that camp. Here's another tidbit, Carrie. It's the Grammys roundup. I watched the whole thing live. I know that you didn't, but did you watch the highlights?
1: I watched some of the highlights. I'm sure you watched the Billy Joel performance. (laughs) Yes.
0: Okay. And what did you think?
1: Well, let's talk about his new song, which is called Turn On The Lights. I've listened to it a couple times. I was hoping it would kind of grow on me, but it's fine. It's just nothing like groundbreaking or earth-shattering. I guess I was hoping for something more. And then the performance at the Grammys was pretty sedate. I mean, it's a sedate song, I guess, but it's Billy Joel, that's for sure. Were you surprised by
0: the choice for him to end the whole night with a performance of You May Be Right?
1: That was the very end of the show, you mean, or that? Yeah. You- mm-hmm. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah,
0: they brought him out. And I guess they were like, hey, that was too sedate. Can you do a banger?
1: <laughs> um. Okay. I heard that he had played You May Be Right as well. I thought he played them back to back. I like the
0: Billy Joel song. I was surprised by how good he sounds. thought his voice sounded great. And I thought the song, I feel like, just fits in with his catalog.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. No
0: crazy left turns. But yeah, it's not groundbreaking, like you said.
1: Okay, so you got to tell me about Annie Lennox and Wendy and Lisa. They sang a song for the In Memoriam, is that correct?
0: Yep. Mm -hmm. First, it was Stevie Wonder singing with Tony Bennett. They had him, Tony Bennett on the screen from an old performance, and they kind of sang together. And then it was Annie Lennox, and she came out to sing um, Nothing Compares to You in tribute to Sinead O'Connor, and then backing her up, it was Wendy and Lisa, and they sounded great. And it was just a nice touch to have the two members that were part of Prince and the Revolution on stage with her. And of course, Annie Lennox sounded great.
1: Yeah, that was a cute connection, having Wendy and Lisa be a part of Nothing Compares to You. And then a great tribute to Sinead O'Connor, which here's a very brief segue. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees have been announced. Sinead O'Connor is included. And I'm not talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. I'm done.
0: That was the other tidbit I was going to bring up. And I said, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) So I would just say that I did want to talk about the 80s nominees that were in there, but we'll do it next week. And then I'll give you a week's notice. You can start your meditation exercises. (laughs)
1: Thank you. I'm really not going to have much to say.
0: That's fine. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. It's still a thing that occurs in the music world that I think is relevant. Even though That's you don't true. agree with how they do things, it's still happening.
1: Yeah. Okay. So tell me about you two's performance, which I did not uh, seek out online.
0: I was so excited to see it. I thought, wow, they're going to give us a glimpse into what it's like to be watching them in the sphere. But the camera moved around so much, you got like a fly's eye view.
1: Okay. Yeah, It
0: just zoomed in and out and back and up and down. It was like, no, thank you.
1: The way you're describing it makes me feel like I would have gotten seasick watching it.
0: <laughs> it makes me want, okay, yeah, now I need to go check it out for myself so I can see what it's like to be sitting in there because I still feel like I have no idea.
1: Just in general, obviously, there's a stage where the band is. The walls are all like video walls and stuff yes. is happening. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and you also um, shared with me, related, one of their last concerts at The Sphere, you two covered Don't Dream It's Over. Yeah, and it was a
0: good performance, I thought. Did you enjoy it?
1: I did, yes. I did very much.
0: I did just want to say that I think my favorite performance of the whole night of the Grammys was Miley Cyrus singing Flowers, which is not even a song I would say that I love, but Mm -hmm. she just looked and sounded great. I was just 100% into it. She was funny Every time she came on stage, I was, like, dying. She was so great.
1: Yes, she was definitely one of the people that I heard a lot of chatter about at the Grammys. But I think the biggest star of the Grammys was Tracy Chapman. She appeared with Luke Combs, who, if you are not aware, is a country singer who covered Fast Car this year and turned it into a country hit. He was slated to perform at the Grammys and he invited Tracy Chapman to perform with him and she did. And I watched this video online. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. What can you even say about that song? I'm sure we've talked about it before. It is a perfect song. It is a classic song that is timeless and will never not be relevant and never not be something that resonates with so many different people and just loved it.
0: Yeah, it was great to see her. I thought she looked good. There was that moment where the crowd is cheering so loud Mm -hmm. and she's smiling so big. I think that's one of the best images I've seen and Years. It was just so great to see her have that moment.
1: It was really lovely. I thought that was one of the best parts is that she kept looking over at Luke Combs and smiling. And I saw some quotes from her after the fact praising him and saying, you know, how grateful she was to him for bringing the song back and for including her. You know, there was lots of what I initially thought to myself were kind of hyperbolic pieces about, oh, look at this. You know, it's a white man country singer and a black woman singing together and it just shows we can all get along. And I was kind of like, okay, I think that's taking a little too far. But at the same time, that is true. It is powerful mm-hmm. to see that kind of stuff. And, you know, in a song that's about poverty and people struggling and, you know, it applies to everyone. Anybody can find themselves in the situation described in that song. So after the fact, I told myself to stop being so cynical and embrace it.
0: It was a good energy for them to bring to the show, which then, you know, went out to the Twitter world and social media, and it was a good feeling to take away, in addition to being a great performance by both of them.
1: Yes. And so I was interested this week to see if Tracy's version of Fast Car would appear back on the Billboard chart. It did not.
0: Monday is when they announce the new top 10, so I think tomorrow... We might be able to see something.
1: Okay, because I went to Billboard and it says week of February tenth, which is a Saturday. But this one that I'm looking at then was announced last Monday. They announced it okay yep. ahead. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay.
0: So Monday. To, yeah. Tomorrow. We'll know. Okay. So tomorrow. Hopefully, we'll that know. would be great.
1: Yeah, apparently she has to get into the top 50 to return to the chart because that's the role for catalog songs. Mm. I'm looking at a Billboard article that talks about how, you know, she's streams and sales have exploded. And then in the same article, they're talking about how a similar explosion for We Are the World.
0: I did actually see that in the iTunes when I was monitoring mm-hmm. to see where Megan and Nikki were at. I saw that it was in the top 25. So I thought, oh, that's that's good.
1: Yeah. And this Billboard article says about We Are The World's, maybe the renewed interest will spawn an all-star charity single for a new generation. The song's 40th anniversary is coming up next year. I don't think so. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I am good. <laughs> All right. Well, yep, those are all the big tidbits.
0: Carrie, we're going to move on to our main topic then. And like you said last week, we are doing more R&B superstars. We've done a number of episodes about R&B superstars in the past. Carrie just takes out her Joel Whitburn book of R&B hits and sees who has a long or interesting entry. First up today is a woman we've certainly talked about many times before, But we are going to devote some real energy to Shaka Khan. She was born in Chicago in 1953 and has described her parents as essentially beatniks. She formed her first group at the age of 12 with her sister, Taka. They called themselves the Crystallettes. In the early 70s, when she was just about 20, she joined a group called Rufus. They caught the attention of Ike Turner, who brought them to L.A. to record at his studio. He wanted Shaka to become an iKat, but she said she was happy with Rufus. She was still with the group when she released her first solo album in 1978 and said she was ready to leave at that time, but agreed to complete two more records owed to the record company under Rufus's contract. Things were not well within the band, though, and for her final studio album with the group in 1981, Shaka recorded her vocals alone to a click track. Here's the lead single from that album, Sharing the Love.
1: song did well on the r&b chart reaching number eight but it topped out at 91 on the hot 100 joe did you know that about shaka khan and ike turner
0: i didn't i didn't either. i didn't know that
1: that was very interesting
0: i mean he was still out there with Ike Hats even after tina left is what it sounds like right
1: i don't know when tina left him i, I don't remember i think
0: mid to late 70s i believe
1: yeah okay I assumed that this happened when Ike and Tina were still together, but who knows. But this sharing the love song, you know, I will say that it sounds pretty obvious there's a separation here. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Shaka sounds great, of course, but I didn't get any feeling from the song. No, no. And that's
0: odd for me, you -hmm. know, to hear Shaka Khan and be like left flat.
1: Exactly.
0: I just learned what a click track was this (laughs) week.
1: (laughs) I'm so glad very interesting. Yes. Well, her solo career continued to thrive. In 1984, she won a Grammy for Best R&B Female Vocal Performance for her self-titled solo album and a Grammy for Best R&B Group Performance for Ain't Nobody, that was a track off of a live album with Rufus that was her final work with the group. And then the next year, her album I Feel for You went platinum and won her another Grammy. We all know the iconic title track, but let's hear a clip of the second single, This Is My Night. It hit three different Billboard charts, reaching 60 on the Hot 100, 11 on the R&B, and topping the dance chart for one week. It was written by Mick Murphy and David Frank, whom we know better as The System. In all, Shaka has had 28 singles reach the R&B chart, including three number ones. She has famously been on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ballot numerous times, both as a solo artist and with Rufus, and the fact that she has not been inducted is a prime example of the Rock Hall's ongoing bullshit. Uh, I thought she was inducted last year. Oh, that's right. But as a (laughs) not on the ballot.
0: Musical excellence category. Yes,
1: Yes. You're right, though. Thank you. I had forgotten she was inducted, period.
0: You know, it's another example of why they're meaningless. It's because they didn't vote her in all those times, right? But they're like, well, we're going to do this offshoot thing. We're not. We won't do this today. (laughs) But, you know, she might make it back to the charts again. She is a featured artist on Sia's upcoming album.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yes, they have a duet. I don't know when that album comes out. Who knows?
1: I did not know that. Also, very quick aside, did you see how else Sia has been in the news lately? With
0: Kylie Minogue?
1: No, I I don't know about that. She has
0: a new song with Kylie Minogue.
1: Okay. No, I'm talking about it was announced that Paris Hilton is coming out with a new album being produced by Sia.
0: I think I did see that headline. You know, we'll see.
1: We'll see ya. <laughs> okay, but this is my night. This is a good one. It's, I, I think agree. it's a really forgotten classic, too, overshadowed yeah. by her other songs. But this one is great.
0: I agree. And I this album artwork I, is one of my favorites <laughs> of yeah. the 80s. I love it so much. Every time I see it, it makes me smile. And this song is great. I enjoy it. I had to look it up because I'm like, is this the song that's on the Miami Vice soundtrack? But that oh. song is called Own the Night. Which she certainly did. She got enough songs about the night. <laughs> we'll give it to her.
1: Yeah. Do you remember this one on um, RuPaul's Drag Race?
0: This was a lip sync song. Yes. No, I don't.
1: This was the lip sync song when Shaka appeared as a guest judge, and it was um, Jan versus Widow Von Doo. Uh, so like recent?
0: I mean, that yeah. was like <laughs> probably three or four seasons ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't remember, but I'm going to go back and watch it. I love Shaka. I think RuPaul does too. Can we put in that clip where he was on the weakest link?
1: (laughs) Oh, I don't know this. RuPaul, what H is the diagram based on planetary positions at the time of one's birth? Shaka Khan. Horoscope. Shaka Khan. (laughs) Very funny. (laughs)
0: next up, Carrie is one of my favorites, Evelyn Champagne King. Her name has also come up so many times on the podcast and on RuPaul's Drag Race. Just (laughs) this season, someone's walking down the runway and he's like, okay, Evelyn Champagne
1: King. (laughs) Amazing.
0: Well, we told you way back in episode 31 about how she was discovered while helping her mother out at work one night. Evelyn was just 14 years old. Her mother happened to work as a cleaner at Philadelphia International Records. A producer heard Evelyn singing while her mother worked and the rest is history. The thought when she first started her career was that Evelyn King sounded too grown up, so her parents came up with the idea to add Champagne. Bubbles had been Evelyn's nickname as a child, and they thought Champagne conveyed her bubbly personality. We all know Evelyn's big hits, I'm in Love and Love Come Down. They were both R&B number ones and were just 2 of her total 24 r and hits. In 1985, she hit the Hot 100 for the last time with the song Your Personal Touch. Though it only reached number 86 on the pop chart, it made it to number 9, R&B, and 5, dance. In 2015, Evelyn got together with Martha Wash and Linda Clifford to form a group called First Ladies of Disco, and their single, Show Some Love, made it to number 6 on the dance chart that year.
2: So many people hate many people sad, always seems to be a reason for someone to be mad. They never show you good news It's all bad on TV They always trying to tell you Nothing good comes free
1: Evelyn Champagne King <laughs> does not <laughs> convey youth or bubbly personality. I think it makes it sound even more grown up. Older? Yeah, I know. that. I th-
0: yeah. Um, <laughs> what else has bubbles? You know what I mean? Like they yeah. could have gone a different way. And you know, what's funny is I guess she, Evelyn agreed at some point because she was credited by just Evelyn King at some point.
1: Yeah. Very strange.
0: She took it away.
1: Uh, Your personal touch, I was really excited. I was hoping it would be like kind of like a lost treasure. And it's fine. It's fine. But it didn't exceed my expectations. It was just good.
0: I agree somewhat because I'm in love is, I mean, it's one of my personal favorites. Mm -hmm. I just love that song so much. And Love Come Down, that can be a bit overplayed depending on what stations you're listening to. But those are two of my faves. And I was hoping this one would reach that echelon I would dance to it, yeah, but it's not my favorite.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And this First Ladies of Disco song, first of all, I want to tell you that, okay, so I wrote this. I saw, oh my gosh, it made it to number six on the dance chart. I was like, okay. So then I went on YouTube, and I found the official video, and I started playing it. And the original song is like a ballad, honestly. How did this song make it to number six on the dance chart? It's so cheesy and so cliched and glib about coming together and all this stuff. But anyways, then I looked some more, and there are like 30 million different remixes of this song. I'm sure, yeah. I don't know which one in particular was the dance hit, but it is really funny to listen to the original and then listen to the remixes. They took the vocals and then just layered on all this generic dance rhythms and beats. Yeah, yeah.
0: I would also like to add that I think anyone listening probably has the same problem, and Carrie, you might too. When you're listening to a playlist you've made on, let's say, Apple Music or Spotify, mm-hmm. and you've got a bunch of 80s songs, and then you put a current song on, I don't care if you've got sound check or whatever setting on, you're gonna feel like the guy in the Maxell ads, right? Yes, Especially yes. with this song. This song came on, all the windows in my house shattered. <laughs> It was so bombastic, so much louder. I felt like Huey Lewis in Back to the Future (laughs) when he says, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. Do you think he had to join SAG to do that role?
1: I don't know. Maybe he already was. Who knows? You're describing it perfectly, though. You're painting a great picture. And I'll tell you, it's hard to describe visuals. But when I make these clips, I put them in a program called Audacity. And it shows you like...
0: Waveforms. Waveforms.
1: Yep. Regular one is kind of in the middle of the box or whatever it is. And I dropped Show Some Love Remix into Audacity, and the whole entire box was just filled with blue waveform. And the and
0: program it. crashed your computer. It won't boot up again.
1: <laughs> it's too much. Too yeah. much. I mean, I want great things for all those ladies.
0: A hundred percent, yeah.
1: Up next, it's a group that are no doubt R&B legends, but probably don't spring to mind when you think of 80s music. I'm talking about Gladys Knight and the Pips. They started in the early 50s as just the Pips. Gladys, her brother Bubba, and their cousins Eleanor and William were the founding members. They put Gladys out in front of the group name in 1961 and got their first R&B number one that same year. By 1980, 36 of their singles had hit the R&B chart and 19 of those were top 5. They added 19 more R&B hits in the 80s, including a number 1 hit from 1983 called Save the Overtime for Me.
2: Just
1: song also made it to number 66 on the hot 100 one reviewer called the song the kind of jubilant celebratory rousing performance that had marked their best motown singles and it put some fresh life into what had become a stagnant group Mm, okay (laughs) besides her appearance on that's what friends are for gladys also had a solo r&b hit in the 80s the theme from the bond movie licensed to kill by our buddy Narada michael walden the track only made it to 68 r&b but it went all the way to number six in the uk gladys knight in the pips i remember kind of hearing about them in the 80s and thinking they were very very old back then they probably weren't i mean they're probably like in their 30s and 40s mm-hmm. save the overtime for me it's good i enjoyed it
0: I did also enjoy it. Yeah. And back to what you were saying about thinking that they were older when you saw them in the 80s. I'm trying to think of what commercial she was in. I want to say it was like accent salt substitute. What? Do you remember? But I'm, I don't. I'm Googling now and all I see is a commercial. It's called McDonald's. Gladys Knight loves the McDLT.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: You don't remember her from commercials?
1: You saying that kind of tickles something in my brain, but I don't know. I don't have a memory of it.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not finding anything. It must be something I made up.
1: <laughs> uh. But yeah, you know what? I think maybe I
0: mentioned this when I watched that documentary, Summer of Soul. Gladys Knight and the Pips were there performing, and they have footage of a young Gladys Knight. She was just the cutest thing on stage, Aww. and they sounded so great. And I was like, so this is what it was all about. Because I only know yeah. the later in their career songs, right? Yes. Uh, they were just so great on stage.
1: All of this R&B stuff is the eternal caveat that I don't know much about it and didn't have a lot of experience with it. And I'm sure people familiar with R&B music would consider them like one of the legendary groups. It was interesting to kind of be introduced to them in the 80s and not know their background. I would love to go back and listen to some of their Motown stuff from the 60s.
0: 100%. License to Kill was crazy.
1: I liked it. Yeah.
0: The lyrics are, got a license to kill anyone who tries to tear us apart. And I was like, (laughs) I didn't know we could do that.
1: This got me started on this whole journey where I was thinking about that. And I'm like, why are the theme songs from... Bond movies always love songs. I mean, I know there's a different woman love interest in every one of these movies, but why does there have to be a love song and it always has to tie into something about him being a spy or killing or whatever? I'm like, this is dumb. But Uh I would call this song bombastic and over the top, Mm -hmm. but I would also Mm -hmm. say I love it (laughs) in a good way. Yeah. I very much enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it was good. I never heard it when it was out, you know, when that movie was out. Never, until, yeah, recently. Our next superstar didn't have a ton of R&B hits, but one was such a classic that we had to include her on this list. Jean Knight had a couple different runs at a singing career, starting in the mid-60s, when she recorded some singles that got local attention in the New Orleans area, but didn't break nationally. After a break, she got back into singing, and this time her first single became a huge hit. Mr. Big Stuff topped the R&B chart and made it to number two pop in 1971. Her career once again petered out, and then in 1985, hit the charts one last time. The song she did it with had a number of versions. My Toot Toot was written and originally performed by Zydeco artist Rockin' Sidney Simeon. The song became a huge hit in New Orleans and made it to number 19 on the Billboard country chart.
2: Now you can have the other woman.
1: But
0: don't mess with my tutu When she was born in a break suit
1: The doctors left her behind It's Zydeco for sure. Oh, yes,
0: 100%. Jean Knight soon recorded her own version and made it to number 50 on the Hot 100 and 59 R&B. I'm- You know, maybe that first version hitting the country chart is how the song entered our neighborhood. Because this was Ah. a song that me and the neighbor kids would sing at the bus stop or just sing goofing off. Uh Don't mess with my toot toot. Uh, I'm going to break your face, I think, was a personal favorite (laughs) of the kids at the time.
1: You and I have talked about this song before. Um, We just talked about it this week for some reason. Oh, I talked about it on Charlie's, and you were surprised to hear that Gene Knight sung uh, Mr. Big Stuff.
0: I thought you were wrong, yes, because for some reason, I thought Betty Wright sang Mr. Big Stuff, and I was getting Betty Wright's The Cleanup Woman confused with Ah, Mr. Big Stuff. See? Got it. Yeah, it's these character songs.
1: Okay, well, I really want to dig in here on the storyline of my toot toot. So the original by Rocking Sid, which I enjoyed actually. I think the original is unique and fun and interesting. You know, he's obviously talking from a perspective of a man, and in his song, my toot toot is a person, right? Is a That's woman what I'm he thinking. loves. Yes. Okay, yes. And he's like, you can have some other woman, but you can't have her. Correct.
0: I believe so. Okay. <laughs> That's how I understand it. Yes. yes.
1: And so then he says things like, when she was born, the doctor said she was going to be great, blah, blah, blah. So the whole song is about him singing about a specific woman. Then Gene Knight sings it. And now Gene Knight is toot toot, right? When she says the line about the doctor, she's like, when the doctor, some whatever, when I was born, the doctor said, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, okay, so she's the titular toot toot. But of course, that doesn't make sense when she's like, you can't mess with my toot toot. Okay, now I think... hurts her butt. Yeah, okay. This has to be now the toot toot is some part of her body. I believe
0: so, yeah. (laughs) Now you can look as much, but if you much as touch,
1: you're
0: going to have yourself a case... I'm going to break your face.
1: Yes. Okay. I got it. And I got to tell you, Joe, I didn't go to butt. I didn't go to butt. You didn't? I went to another part that I thought she was saying was her toot, toot.
0: Oh my gosh, Carrie.
1: I don't know. What was I supposed to think? Anyways, it's funny because I do enjoy Gene Knight's version, of course. It's silly and it's good in its own way, but I enjoyed hearing the original and I think I would rather hear the original than the Mm -mm. Gene Knight version. No? For
0: my money, it's Gene Knight's version or no version. Thank goodness no one ever tried to sing it ever again because that (laughs) is Gene Knight's song and Gene Knight's only.
1: Okay, well, I'm sorry to inform you, Joe, but Mm. get this. At the same time that Gene and Sydney were on the charts with My Toot Toot, another artist wanted to mess around with the song as well. What? Denise LaSalle hit the R&B chart for the first time in 1971 with the number one hit Trapped by a Thing Called Love. She would have 14 more R&B hits before 1985 when her version of My Toot Toot made it to number 79. Denise's version was a big hit across the pond, making it to number six in the UK. She passed away in 2018, but is recognized as a legendary blues artist and was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in 2011. First of all, I'll say listening to my toot toot three times in a row, several times this week, we had Rocking Sydney, then Gene Knight, then Denise LaSalle's version on the playlist. It was too much. <laughs> over it every time i heard denise's version her version is credited as my two two t-u-t-u and to me that's
0: what we sang that's what i remember singing as a kid was two, two.
1: Oh my it could be
0: we misheard the other two versions it could be we preferred Denise's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't allow me time to insert my joke, which when you brought up that Denise <laughs> LaSalle came out with another version but changed it to tutu, it was gonna be at toot Denise. <laughs>
1: I listened really carefully to her version to try and see what she was singing. And I think it's just the way her voice is. Like, if you told me she was singing toot toot, I would believe you. If you told me she was singing toot too, I would believe that as well. She doesn't emphasize the T at that. end.
0: You think you heard the song a lot to last week. I went to the Mardi Gras celebration in <laughs> Soulard in St. Louis yesterday. And there were at least three or four times where I was like, Oh no, it's my two two again.
1: Oh my god.
0: But it was different Zydeco music every time. Just okay. it's a few close calls. And I know I said I love Gene Knight's version, but I didn't need to hear it, you know, more times yesterday. <laughs> and I didn't. Yeah.
1: Well, just to wrap up the story on Gene Knight, she was inducted into the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame in two thousand seven and sadly passed away this past November. The last artist we are going to cover today has been in the news lately, but before we get to that, let me tell you about Cheryl Lynn's history. She was born Linda Cheryl Smith in L.A. in 1957, and she got her big break at the age of 19 as part of the touring company for The Wiz. By the end of her run, she was performing the role of the Wicked Witch of the West She then signed to Columbia Records and her debut single, Got To Be Real, made it to number one on the R&B chart in 1978. And that song was co-written by David Foster and David Peche of Toto. Did you know that?
0: I can't remember, but I knew that the female vocalist on Toto's Georgie Porgy.
1: Correct, yes.
0: Or as she sings it,
1: ja Pa Jai. Yeah, if I did know that, I had forgotten it. Well, that was the first of Cheryl's 18 R&B hits. In 1983, she hit number one for the second time with Encore. That was from her fifth studio album, and it was the only song she did not produce on that album, but she got great substitutes. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were the writers and producers, in addition to hitting number one R&B. The song also made it to six on the dance chart, but topped out at 69 on the Hot 100. Cheryl last recorded music in 2004. But Encore has suddenly returned to the consciousness lately because of, what else? TikTok. Joe, before we get into that, what do you think about Encore?
0: Encore, perfect song, no notes.
1: Exactly.
0: Got to be real, perfect song, no notes. You know what I mean? On the
1: strength of these two singles, she wins. Totally, totally perfect song. I'm very happy that Encore has become as popular as that one lately.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, fans of the NFL team, the Baltimore Ravens, started using the song in a viral challenge last November, and the song continued to remain popular as the Ravens made a playoff run in January. Cheryl herself celebrated the resurgence on Twitter or X at her handle I am Cheryl Lynn, which had a blue check and was, quote unquote, verified, by the way. She tweeted about owning her own masters, appreciating the love for Encore, and cheering on the Ravens, or did she? The answer to that is apparently a resounding no. In case you weren't aware, Nicki Minaj and Megan the Stallion recently gotten into some beef that spilled onto Twitter. The less said about the better. But when Cheryl Lynn weighed in on the feud to side with Megan, suddenly years of catfishing were exposed. People dug up a 2015 Billboard article where Cheryl's reps denied back then that the account was hers. In response to a fake beef that the account started with Anita Baker. You don't want beef with Anita Baker, <laughs> is what I would tell this person posing as Cheryl. I Lynn. know.
1: Okay, we have to stop here and break it down a little. We actually talked about this tweet from I am Cheryl Lynn talking about her owning her masters, masters and Encore yes. coming back. We talked about that a couple weeks ago or a month ago.
0: We talked about it on the podcast. Yep. I've talked about this account on Charlie's 80s attic. Mm-hmm. I passed off what I was seeing on the account as something real and to be believed to be true, right? Yes. So I got burnt.
1: Yes, we all got burnt. Okay, then the second thing I want to note is that you did not tell me when you told me about this happening this week about the account getting exposed, that it was a result of the Nicki Minaj and Megan The Stallion beef.
0: Carrie, uh, there's things that I just know I don't need to bring up to you in our private conversations, and that's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Twitter beefs between Nicki Minaj and anyone else.
1: I agree. Thank you. You're right.
0: This is a service I provide to you to shield you from the horrors of real life.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But then it gets even more crazy. I can't believe this was known back in 2015 that this account was fake.
0: Then then, then that's on us. If that info was out there, why was no one responding to every tweet of Cheryl Lynn's with this article? You know what I mean?
1: Yes. That's so weird.
0: Of all the people to pick...
1: That is the other thing. I was just like thinking about it last night. I was just like, why Cheryl Lynn? Like, what was it that they inspired them to do this? And then I understand that they already said this, you know, back in 2015, but... What's going on now? Why, when Encore was coming back on TikTok and all these articles are being written about the Twitter account, why weren't they like sending out a statement to every single news organization that wrote an article that was like, this is not Cheryl Lynn, retract, or whatever it is, you know?
0: Uh, Yeah, who knows? I wonder if this will spur them to get a real account for her, you know? Yeah.
1: All right. Well, you have to tell the listeners about another response to Cheryl Gate.
0: Well, the reason I learned that the account was fake was one of the tweets from someone I follow, who is Dion Warwick. She created a video that said something to the effect of, Hi, guys. It's really me behind the account. What you see on my account is real. This is not a Cheryl Lynn situation. <laughs> And I was like, what does that mean? And then I, I digged a little bit further and I saw the expose tweet. Wow. Right? Yep. Letting people know that it was fake. I just got to know, what were they going to do? Like, supposedly Cheryl Lynn was asking NPR if she could do a Tiny Desk concert. Mm-hmm. The account was giving the okay for samples
1: from other artists. Like, what was their end game? They must have been scamming people somehow behind the scenes. You know how people try to set up fake celeb accounts and then they DM you on Instagram and they're like, I see you're one of my biggest fans. I want to talk to you directly. And then maybe they were like, oh, I I need money to, I don't know, fly to NPR. Well, the screenshots I saw was her reaching
0: out to people who are technical. And she's like, I need my isolated vocals from this track or I need this or that. Can you do that for me?
1: Oh my god. Yeah, I would love to know what the end game was here. But once again, Queen of Twitter, Dionne Warwick coming to the rescue, both making a formal expose of this issue and also confirming once and for all that she is behind her own Twitter. So I love it. I love her. I love her so much. (laughs) Well, those were some great superstars, and of course there's many, many more to get to in the future. Speaking of the future. Next week, don't know exactly what we're going to do yet, and I want to just make a note for the listeners that as we move forward into the coming months, things are a bit hectic for both Joe and I because of life reasons. We're going to do our best to continue to bring you new episodes every week. Some things might come up that prevent that or delay episodes, so be patient with us. They usually
0: are. Their listeners are so great. So for sure. Yeah. And we appreciate, we've got an influx of messages regarding possible topics or tidbits or things that happen in the show. And we try to respond as quickly as we can. But like Carrie said, there's sometimes you just can't, but we don't want those messages to stop because we appreciate that you're out there listening and have things to say. We love it.
1: I can tease that next week is going to be sort of a grab bag. I'm saving a lot of different things that people have messaged about and I decided to just throw them all together next week and we'll cover them. And what about that Moonlighting music? Yeah, that's episode. coming up too. That's we got to finish too. it first. We got to
0: finish. Yeah, we're on season 5. Did you see that Moonlighting book that I bought for 5.99? No. It's an episode guide written by the two ladies who do the podcast. And I looked at the first entry. They tell you what the title of the episode is a play on. They count Maddie's outfit changes. (gasps) They list Agnes's rhymes in the episode. They count how many times the door is slammed. It's so good.
1: When did they start that podcast?
0: I would say a couple years ago, I think they did it on the DVD release because uh, mm-hmm. they also list the original music for each episode.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I got to get yeah, it's, this. You need
0: this book. It's really going to help you.
1: Perfect. Well, Joe, anything else you want to tell the listeners before we get out of here?
0: I feel like we've talked about everything
1: today. <laughs> we did. We covered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. Let me just take us out by saying, hey... Be kind to the world, be kind to each other, be kind to yourself. And oh my gosh, you guys, please enjoy every sandwich.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. You made them cry. Many poor girls cry. When they try to keep
1: you happy,
2: they just try to keep you satisfied. Mr. Bista, tell me, tell me. Do you think you are this fucking stuff? You're never gonna get my